Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 189. My name is Irvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from Pension Plan Puppets, it's Acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fooleman? I'm not too bad. How about yourself? I'm, I'm doing well. The we, we missed last week when the sky was falling, and we are back this week when the sky is rising. I, uh, I, I lost. That's not really the, the metaphor. The is sky it, is but. solidified into a cement block. No, I don't know. Um, yeah, veteran podcasting tip. If you ever just don't want to do an episode, just don't. Things will be different when you come back in a week. Yeah. No, we were we were busy. That was uh, primarily my fault. I got preoccupied with a bunch of work and life stuff. And as a result, I missed a couple of the games and I had nothing useful to say. So. Yeah, it was also a West Coast trip, which were like, I, I mean, I, I am kind of like an 85-year-old and I go to sleep relatively early. So, like, for the West Coast games, I can watch the first period, but then I, I have to catch up on it later, or more likely, especially when the Leafs lose really badly. Yeah. I just don't watch it and pretend it didn't happen and just watch the Raptors instead. Yeah, you know, I don't know what the demographics are of our listener base, actually pretty much at all, so I have no idea who I, I'm really talking to. But... I think we're safe. We can be safe. We can safely assume that it's mostly men. Yeah, probably. There's probably a gender skew. But some of you might be in your 20s, and you're still in that stage where you're like, man, I can stay up all night, no problem. I can do this. Buddy, when that goes, it's going to go hard. That's all I'm going to say. Because I used to be a pure night owl, and then the corporate world forced me to start getting up in the morning very early, and now it's a struggle. That's all I'm going to say. And I would prefer to be a night owl, to be clear. Like, if I had my preferences i'd go to bed at like three in the morning but that's not the world in which i live so anyway yeah we missed um a week where we would have been talking about the leafs getting their asses kicked kind of up and down the west coast mm-hmm. uh, mostly bad teams yes it was discouraging how bad the teams were and it was discouraging how bad the teams looked it wasn't as if the leafs were like dummying these teams and um, we're getting a little unlucky or or just had bad goaltending. It's like, no, Anaheim kind of deserved to win, yeah. which is not great because Anaheim sucks ass. Anaheim is actually pushing itself all the way down into the Arizona bracket. They're not as bad as Arizona because I don't know if that's Who we also possible. lost to, of course. Well, of course. <laughs> Who else would do it, right? But they're really sinking to the low end of their expected range. How's that sound? So, yeah. yeah, it was a demoralizing road trip, and it led to some panic chatter in Leafsland and an article that we'll talk about at the end of the episode. But things have turned around since. The Leafs stomped the Philadelphia Flyers, and you might say, hey, it's the Philadelphia Flyers. That's not a huge achievement. No, it's not, but you got to take the wins where you can get them. And because they'd played down to their competition so hard, them just outclassing a team that sucks was a pleasant change of pace. And then last night they played a good team, a frustratingly, persistently, eternally good team, the Boston Bruins. Yes. So the Bruins, uh, prior to last night, were, I believe, 10-1 and on the year. Um, That is very good, obviously. (laughs) If you win 90% of your games, you are doing quite well. Um, They look like the Bruins that... You know, I think we were always sort of, we're quite respectful to the Bruins because, like, they've handed our asses to us too many times for us not to be. Yeah. Um, But they look like kind of how we feel the Bruins always look, right? Yeah. Um, But they they have changed a bit this year under under a new coach in uh, Jim Montgomery. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk a little bit about those changes. But yesterday, the Leafs, they won 2-1. 
and they played really, really well. I thought it was dope as hell. They looked good. They it, it was like, yeah. Go ahead. It was I think clearly the least best performance of the year given the competition. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's an obvious second. Like I think it's it's this and then like I don't know one one of the other wins maybe Winnipeg I don't know but like this is clearly number one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So there's a couple things we wanted to kind of go in detail on this game. One because it's it's a nice win and we like haven't had that many of them this year. And two, we actually haven't gone in like super detail on on a game this season. I I, I sort of like doing these these micro things. This maybe makes the podcast a little more out, out of date, but we'll try and you know where we can. Uh, zoom out, look at the big picture and what this could mean for, for the Leafs going forward. So after the the road trip, uh, during the during the West Coast road trip, the second line was primarily uh, Nylander, Tavares, Robertson. Mm-hmm. And our last time we were here, we said Nick Robertson is for sure an NHLer. Like this, like if he solves this, like that's great. He He's not going back down. And he hasn't gone back down to the minors. But the Tavares, Nylander, Robertson line had pretty shitty numbers, despite Robertson himself looking pretty active and pretty involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so as coaches are wont to do when when things are going well, Keith sh- shook things up by going back to his comfort blanket uh, of the second line, which is Kerfoot Tavares Nylander. Mm-hmm. And they've responded with two really, really good games against Philadelphia and against Boston, just to, to put some numbers on this. Um, that line went together yesterday in about eight minutes of 5v5 time, was 11-3 in Corsi 4 mm-hmm. uh, and did not allow a single unblocked shot. That is kind of incredible. And they were doing this primarily against a line featuring Taylor Hall, David Krejci, and David Pasternak, which, you know, those guys are pretty good. Yeah, no kidding. Like, that that's two guys who are top five caliber wingers or have been at some point taylor hall isn't anymore but yes like very impressive showing um from them tavares has looked like a man possessed all year um mm-hmm. t- to my eye even when things were not going super well and he almost single-handedly stuffed the philadelphia flyers into a trash can um at one point he actually ate travis sanheim's soul which mm-hmm. i thought was fun um, just just sucked it right out and chewed on it, and, and then swallowed it, and then Sanheim was left fake and died and staring into the middle distance. And then Tavares was like, this isn't kale. <laughs> Where are my nutrients? So, yeah, uh, it's been very encouraging to see Tavares look rejuvenated as late in his career as he might be. You know, I'm not saying that he's falling off a cliff or anything, but he's staving off age-related decline in an impressive way. Mm-hmm. Um, Kerfoot... <laughs> Kerfoot seems to be the current whipping boy, certainly at forward. It's him or Justin Hall for the team on the whole. Um, and yet, I, I think he's established himself as a competent player, and now we're seeing good results from this line. And as you said last night, there was a superlative. So. Right, and I mean, we, we talk about this so often, um, but the second nine is really the bellwether for this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can rely pretty pretty well on, on Matthews, Marner, Bunting. And they, they had they had a solid game, I thought. Um but again, against Boston, you know, stop me if you've heard this before, it boils down to go even against Bergeron, win everywhere else. We need the second line to do the win everywhere else. They did it yesterday. And even though, so they weren't the line that got the, the 5v5 goal. That was the Matthews line. And we'll talk about that because they were matched up a little bit against the Bruins' fourth line, which is interesting. Um, but a lot of the Leafs' territorial dominance was the second line. Um, and I think they did it with a a bunch of of like defense pairs i don't think they played exclusively 
like with, with one or the other, but I noticed them a lot with um, Riley and Timothy Lilligren. Mm. Um, so th- I think that that was that's sort of interesting. I think Lilligren also looked he looked good. Um, yeah, I, I worried it, a little bit that he was being too much hoped on as the savior when things were going well in the last couple of weeks. Because I'm like, look, this is a nice guy. Looked good in not brutal minutes last year, being carried by Mark mm-hmm. Giordano, who is, by the way, still really good. Um, but Liljegren is coming into his own. He's still, like, he's not that old, I guess is <laughs> what I would emphasize. He's still in the stage where we can expect him to learn and improve and get better and hope for the right. best. And, you know, he's really maturing into a quiet defenseman, to my eye, who has passing ability, don't get me wrong, but, like, he's able to to calm things down. To a greater extent. He, he, I think he's the Leafs' best passer on the back. At least best stretch passer, I should say. I For think distance, maybe Sandine's, he's like, he's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe Sandine's better at, like, the, the short uh, the short passes under pressure. Yeah. Uh, and, and Riley, I mean, Riley likes moving with his feet more than with, with uh, yeah. like, but I feel Riley's, like, Riley's a great, yeah. Riley's a solid passer. I feel like he evades the first guy with his feet and then makes a simpler pass because his feet put him in the position to do that. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. most people can't do that. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like Sandine is like, okay, you know, calculate the angle, figure out, you know, where the player is going to be, pass to the open space, you know, use my eyes to fool him. Riley's like, just skate by him, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Riley, Riley is a phenomenal offensive zone cycle player, but he does it more like he's tap dancing. Sandine does it more like he's shooting pool. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely see the distinction there. Anyway, yeah, Liljegren coming back looking good, obviously important for this team. Um, mm-hmm, very much so. Uh, and the usage that he had was sort of interesting. So as mentioned, he played a lot with uh, with Riley, played most of his minutes with Riley. But then, you know, you, you, you look back at the at the end of the game, you look at the, the Leafs defenseman usage and you have, this is all situation. So, um, you know, Logan doesn't play any any PK or, or power play or not much anyways. But the 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 general point, nonetheless, holds. Riley played twenty three minutes. Brody played twenty three minutes. Hall played twenty one, and then there's a big drop to Jordano, Lidgren, Sandy, and all at fifteen or sixteen. Mm. Right, and basically what this boils down to is when push comes to shove, we we just kind of want to duplicate TJ Brody. Yeah, we wish we had more of him to go around. Um, yeah, and I mean, most of that it's pretty easy to understand. The one thing that might be a bit of a hinge there, and I've seen this remarked on Twitter. I want to say it was Scott Wheeler, but I could be wrong. Um, he was not talking about how Giordano is still one of the Leafs' um, better defensemen. Um, you know, he had an absolutely heroic shot block um, late last night when the chips were down um, in the Philadelphia game. He perpetrated what I would call a flying tackle on Travis Konechny for messing with Austin Matthews. And Giordano is a shift-to-shift, still a very good player. They're still playing him in a very conservative way, and the obvious reason is he's 39. So (laughs) if this were a Game 7 or a playoff game or something, I think you would see probably more minutes from Giordano than you saw last night, would be my guess. Yeah, I I, I could see that. I I think, think, yeah, when the chips are down, Keefe still does trust him, especially defensively, I think, more than... Certainly more than than, than Sandine, and hard to tell from Lilligren yet because this was like his first game of the year mm-hmm. um, in the NHL, but probably more so than 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 Lilligren too. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we'll see how that reintegrates. Lilligren is has been knocking on the door for more responsibility for a while, and we're gonna have to see how much he can handle at this point because with what looks like it might be 
um, the long-term or permanent departure of Jake Mazen, mm -hmm. we are going to have more hard minutes to go around. Yes. Um, so we've, we've talked a lot during the start of the year, but like, okay, the Leafs have like roster decisions to make when uh, Timothy Lillard comes back. And we talked about that primarily in the context of cap issues. That's sort of been temporarily resolved with Jake Muzzin going on long-term IR. Mm -hmm. um, but the roster crunch was not. And as a result, the Leafs had to waive uh, Nicholas Aubé-Coubel. Yes. And, I mean, I'm sure the Leafs were kind of were hoping that he would he would st stick around. Like, if you sign a guy to a contract in the offseason, you probably haven't revised your opinion. Like, he is never, he's clearly not worth that contract like, 10 games in. Um, but he was claimed by the injury-riddled uh, Washington Capitals. Which, which makes sense. I mean, Aubrey Kubel has... Like, he's an NHL player, right? So you, you can you can pretty easily see how he'd get claimed. Um, now, this ended up sort of being helpful for the Leafs in, in a contract space requirement... Uh, in a contract space way, because the Leafs were at 50 contracts and now are going to be at 49, which is important because... Uh, oh, yeah, Samsonov got hurt. We will get to that soon. <laughs> and with the Leafs may need to sign a goalie. Yes, and there's some word that it's going to be Keith Petrozelli who is mm -hmm. currently the AHL uh, goaltender for the Marlies, has started strong. We'll get to that in a second. But yeah, the, the result was that NAK vacated a contract slot right before the Leafs needed to fill one. Yes. Um, and were we wrong, do you think, in terms of our evaluation of NAK? So like, I don't think we went over the moon about a fourth liner. Mm -hmm. we've, <laughs> we've long since learned not to do that. But I think we were positive on him. Yeah, and, uh, I th we definitely were, and, and we were quite positive about the Leafs' fourth line of Kampf, Abi Kubel, and Aston Reese in preseason. We liked what we saw of them, and then it just didn't click in the regular season for a lot for whatever reason. I mean, people can can debate about the reasons, and I guess we'll do so now as well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I think, I mean, I think we were wrong in the sense that we expected them to do better than they were, right? Yeah. Um, than they than they actually did. Now, given like an infinite time sample, would we expect them to be better? probably like I, I i i would revise my opinion down slightly but not like oh they're as bad as we saw them but if you're a fourth liner you do not get infinite time you kind of have to be ready all the time because you are always on you know right on the line of i have a job versus i don't yeah you know and this isn't a fourth line situation but it is a fringe player situation if you can sort of mentally calculate how much nick ritchie cost himself by going very cold with uh, Matthews and Marner at the start of last year, I think it is a considerable amount of money. Yeah. Um, on the fourth line, you have that same thing. There's not a lot of margin. If you screw up three or four games in a row, there are other players who the, the organization would like to play. And you also don't have a lot of, like, even time within a game, right? You're playing, like, eight minutes or ten minutes or whatever. Yeah, and that's something that's always worth remembering when we talk about single games and percentage stats. Mm -hmm. You know, something like, you know, th this guy clobbered his competition 60-40 in XG or something like that. That's one play. You know, it, the difference there can be just that fine. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I mean, when you're right on the margin there, there's not a lot going on. I do question whether, and this wasn't something that I thought of. Some other people pointed it out. I think uh, Drag Like Pool on Twitter had a, a tweet like mm -hmm. this that looks pretty prescient. And he said this might be... Too much of the same ingredient with no transition yeah. threat. Yeah, I, I saw people say that as well. And I mean, it's certainly it's certainly a plausible reason as to why they didn't work as well as, as maybe we thought they'd be or that thought they would. 
Um, and in the last two games, they've had Dennis Morgan there, who very much is a transition threat and a, and a good puck carrier and a skilled offensive player. Mm-hmm. And they've looked quite good in those in those two games. They, they've had the puck in the offensive zone. I feel like they were able to kill more time in the offensive zone and be a little bit more productive there, having kind of the puck carrying uh, and offensive ingenuity of Morgan as opposed to, to Abe Kubel. Um, this could just be like some amount of variance, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think if you are of the opinion, and I think it's a very reasonable one, and I would generally agree with this too, that you know, complementary player skills really matter. That like players are not just like linear effects mm-hmm. that are completely independent of their of the skills that their teammates possess. Right? I think that's actually a pretty obvious statement when when phrased like that. Um, then this is some evidence for you cannot just expect to have three shot suppressing demons on a line if they all are trying to do the same thing and are unable to do uh, the other jobs that need to be done in order for them to put up the shot suppressing results that they have historically put up. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, the usage that they were getting was so extreme that it's like, if you don't have a way to transition to offense, you can be doing the in-zone defensive thing quite well. And I think maybe that's where I got a bit off track in the first few games because I looked at them and I said... They're doing kind of what they're supposed to do. But they were doing the in-zone defensive element of it. But if you never get out of your zone with control, you will never put up shots at the other end. And you will have stretches where it just doesn't go your way. Um, It's the general objection to the turtling strategy um, just as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, Which is that even if you're really good at your own zone and taking care of everything there and keeping it clean sooner or later something is going to go in because you've allowed too much activity to happen in front of your net, even if it's bad. So, yeah. Um, anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, happy trails to, to NAK. And I think with hindsight, it might seem weird how much we've talked about him because <laughs> there'll be a blip <laughs> in the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But yeah, live and learn about roster construction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about the top line because... They, I mean, they were responsible for both the Leafs' goals. Um, Matthews got one on the power play, one on one at even strength. And I think um, something worth noting, keeping in mind, and this will be relevant if the Leafs play the Bruins in the playoff series, God help me, <laughs> is that um, the Leafs got the Matthews line against Thomas Nosek's uh, fourth line of the Bruins. Now, the Leafs were at home, so... Some of that may be just like, you know, the the last change advantage. But it also didn't seem like Montgomery was super worried about that matchup or super like, oh, we absolutely must match Bergeron up against against Matthews. That ended up happening more. But, mm-hmm. you know, the Matthews line played more against the fourth line than you would maybe have expected pregame. And they scored, you know, their goal against that line. Now, the Bruins have done this before, uh, noted with Sean Corrali. When he was in his prime, he he would take on really, really tough matchups. And, you know, the combination of him being able to do that and then Bergeron eating your lunch the other time, to- uh, like for, for your stars, other minutes, was was quite powerful. Um, so I wonder if they're, they're obviously, you know, multiple coaches ago at this point, but I wonder if they're, tr- they're trying to go for a similar sort of idea here. Um, as it turned out, the, the time with... Uh, Matthews against the Bergeron line was like I think relatively even, maybe a slight advantage to the Bruins, although not a significant one. Mm-hmm. And then the time with the 
uh, Matthews line matchup against Noshek was significantly better for the Leafs, as you'd expect. Um, there, there's probably also some effect of maybe those minutes were more offensive zone starts or whatever, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that's sort of that's sort of an interesting thing that jumped out to me during the game. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the Bruins is that they play a such a quiet defensive game generally, maybe a little less so under Montgomery. Maybe they are a little bit more aggressive, but still, they do count on the Bergeron line to win its matchup handily. And the Bergeron, Bergeron line does. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't, as you said, you know, fight Bergeron to a draw and then clobber the other competition. Um, and the encouraging thing is that they were successful in that. Um, yeah, well, and the thing is the Bruins this year have been so good because they've been absurd with Bergeron on the ice and they're still very, very good without him there. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is with them without having Charlie McAvoy, by the way. Yes. Uh, it's definitely worth mentioning. Yeah. Like the the i think the bruins have to be we talked we said this about florida last year uh when they got off to a hot start we said that like just by virtue of the hot start they are already favorites for like president's trophy and winning the division it's the same is true of the bruins yes like it's uh kind of a rolling advantage situation where even if it was you know a a bit of a, a heater or something like that now you have a six point lead on the people who are chasing you and Mm -hmm you don't have to be even as good as them to hold that. You just have to be not six points worse. Right. And they're going to get stronger. They're going to add a top pairing defenseman in, yeah. in Charlie McAvoy, right? That's that's a that's a big deal. Uh, the general thought about the Bruins is like, oh, they're gonna struggle till they get everyone healthy. And then they'll be then they'll be like, you know, good or or, you know, whatever your opinion of the Bruins was preseason. Yeah. But as it's turned out, they've kind of dominated what has been a fairly weak schedule so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, as we've seen with the Leafs, you still you still have to win those games. Yeah, and yeah, they're in a very good position going forward. It's worth let, let's let's chat a little bit about the Bruins as well, in the sense of how have they changed, right? Because mm-hmm. to my eye, I haven't watched many Bruins games this year. This was the first Bruins game I've watched in full. Um, it felt like this was a much more open game than we would have seen under the Cassidy or Julian Bruins. Yes. Um, I did a bit of reading in prep for this segment. You know, as I've said, I haven't been watching the Boston Bruins game to game, so I'm going to rely on other people who have. Uh, And the remark was that Montgomery trusts his weak side winger, so side without the puck, to fly the zone when the opportunity comes. You know, like when there's more space up there, he's saying, you can be more aggressive. We can try and have more of a transition threat. Um, That, and you've remarked on this in the notes, that opens things up. Uh, in in transition, for and against. Yes, and th- I'm I'm sort of I'm quite happy you said that because that was sort of my eye test um, takeaway from from last night. It's like normally it's just it, it, you can never get a, a rush chance against the Bruins. It's mm-hmm. so hard. They always have a forward back applying backside pressure, making it a very contested zone entry. And it felt like yesterday the Leafs were able to take advantage of the game being a little bit more open. The Leafs are, you know, more of a cycle team than a rush team, but especially with Lilligren back and being willing to fire off stretch passes and um, with, you know, the Leafs are still not like a super, super slow team by any means. They, they, they seem to be able to get a few uncontested zone entries that led to good shots off the rush and then also extended cycle time as well or an offensive zone faceoff, which the Leafs could turn into cycle time. Right. Right. Um, I think to some extent there was some sloppiness from the Bruins. Uh, 
and there there was there was you know you look at the overall stats the Leafs uh, dominated the shot clock and, and got like quite a few more expected goals at least in, in through the first uh, two thirds of the game some score effect stuff happens happens later of course as as the game you know reaches reaches 60 minutes mm-hmm. um, but I think the game was quite close and there was a few situations where it felt like the Bruins had a really really great chance and then it just slipped off their stick or like the Leafs got kind of a crazy last ditch defending there's a couple that come to mind um, in the first period, I think David Pasternak uh, gets basically has the ha, ha, has a situation where he's coming onto the puck for free in the offensive zone, like really, really close to the net, and the puck just bounces over a stick, and that's that's our really that's like the Bruins' ideal chance right there, right? Yeah. They have their best shooter uncontested in the slot, uh, and it just they didn't get a single shot, they didn't get a shot off there, mm-hmm. right? That shot goes that that shot is taken and that's a that's a pretty big xg chance and that shot could very easily be a goal and the leafs are, are are down one one nothing instead of up one nothing um i forget if that was actually before or after the leafs goal but anyways the the point stands um i also remember there was there was a play that i can the standard when i think of bergeron and marshawn in the offensive zone i think of uh one of them passing from sort of below the circles to the other one in the slot or near the tops or middles of the circles and firing off a shot, which goes in because they're both good shooters. Mm -hmm. And they kind of set up that exact play uh, with Bergeron and Tavares kind of got a very, very, not fortunate because he was trying to do that, but like (laughs) fortunate from the Leafs perspective, uh, shot block with his stick there. And, you know, some percentage of the time that shot doesn't get blocked and it goes in. So so that doesn't show up in XG, but those were still very good chances. Um, So this was like a pretty even game. And I think there were some situations where the Bruins were just either sloppy or a little bit unlucky at times. And the Leafs were able to take advantage of those turnovers and turn them the other way mm-hmm. and get, you know, uncontested zone entries off the back of those and, and rush chances off the back of those. Yeah. Um, the prob- those types of errors, yeah. The problem that the Bruins have had in recent years is not enough scoring. Last year, statistically, they were a vault defensively, like well ahead of the second place team. Very good defensively. This year, they're still good defensively, and they're getting um, better goaltending from Linus Olmark, the kind that they hoped that they were going to get when they signed him to a contract. Um, but they're well past four goals a game. So right now, you know, they're collectively on a bit of a heater. But at the same time, it's like there's clearly some offensive freedom that wasn't there. Will that persist as the league tightens down, as we know that it does after the first month, most years? Um some of this is probably enthusiasm at just having a new guy. You know, uh, Justin Bourne's talked about this where he says, a new coach is a new opportunity. This is a guy who probably hasn't made his mind up about you yet. So everyone's coming in hotter. Combine that with the start of the season. Bruce Cassidy is also apparently a bit of a, a hard-ass coach, for lack of a better term. And so it's possible there's just a little bit of uh, now everyone gets to spread their wings going on in Boston. Um, in a big way. But yeah, I, I think we're definitely seeing the Bruins consciously uh, goose their transition and their offense a little bit more than the very conservative team that we're mm-hmm. used to seeing. That is a fucking nightmare to play against. But mm-hmm. they may be more dangerous if the, if this consistently leads to higher offense. Right. Like, there's, there's a trade-off there. And mm-hmm. I think yesterday the Leafs were on the right side of that trade-off. Um, but yeah, the, the Bruins have been much improved offensively and... 
in a game where they're where they, where they don't make one or two critical mistakes or are connected a little bit better with their passes, um, I think it becomes much more even. So, I mean, I, I think yesterday was a really, really positive development for the Leafs. Um, but, you know, the Bruins and the Leafs play tomorrow. I'm not expecting the Leafs to get a 65% expected goal rate or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, still, though, like, grudgingly impressed, I guess. I mean, the biggest thing is that Patrice Bergeron does not fucking age. Um, yeah, it's... It's actually super fucking annoying. Yeah. I would like him to do that now, please, but he won't. Um, so, yeah, as long as he's this good, the Bruins are threatening. Um, right now, they are probably the favorite to win the Atlantic Division. For that reason we just spoke of, even if I they think, regress. I mean, I think they're the favorite to win the President's Trophy. Uh, yeah. I mean, it depends who you're going to put up against them at this point. Obviously, it's all wide open, and they are behind Vegas in points. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like they've already set themselves themselves up pretty nicely for a recovery from injuries. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, you have to grudgingly respect their consistency, um, if nothing else. Uh, they did something this week that I don't think many people found worthy of respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, off the ice, which was their decision to sign Mitchell Miller. Um, so we're just going to address this sort of briefly. We actually did talk about this when the Arizona Coyotes drafted Mitchell Miller, then renounced the draft pick under public relations pressure. When Miller was 14, he consistently, very cruelly um, bullied uh, a boy in his class over an extended period, um, shouted racial slurs at him, did all sorts of stuff that is very, very difficult to forgive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do, I'll start by saying something that I, I'm not sure everyone likes. I do believe in diminished responsibility mm-hmm. for 14 year olds. And I think that that is important. And then that's that, that is significant. And I do believe in the capacity to come back from something that you did before you were fully developed, when you were still more greatly under the influence of your environment. Um, And I at least want to believe in the potential for redemption from that. However, this was so bad, so extended that to earn some kind of redemption from that, as you grow more responsible, and you know, Mitchell Miller is now 20, you got to say, I am going to turn my life the fuck around. Like right. the, the first line of my biography now has to be this guy turned his life around and turned into a different and better person. And the bar is going to be really high for that because this right. was pretty awful. Um, and I'm not sure there's much evidence he's done anything close to that. Um, the family of uh, the, the victim. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah. Certainly the victim's family doesn't, did not appear and does not appear to have found Miller remorseful, really, in any way, besides possibly the impact to his NHL career. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think they have every right to say, hey, go fuck yourself. I don't care right. that you want some cosmetic apology so that you get to go in and off and be a sports star. Up yours. Um, and, you know, they... They did not phrase that nearly as rudely as I just did, but they would be, they would have every right to. Um, and so the Bruins looked and said, nah, we're going to do it anyway. Um, 
And I have to say, it, it left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths, and I get why. Sweeney said himself, I'm not sure this is the right decision. Okay, but you did it. You signed right. him to like, a contract. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's like, it's like, how, it's like, I don't know, like, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. <laughs> yeah. It's we, like, like, what? Yeah, and like, face it, you know, like, if you believe yeah, like that you, this is justifiable, then you do it. Because yeah, this you, doesn't have you, you made a you made a set of choices mm-hmm. that that led to this, right? It, it's it's not really convincing to, or even appropriate to to say, oh, we're passing the buck on this, or like you know, I I'm passing the buck on this. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's unfair because maybe maybe the decision came from like Jeremy Jacobs or like someone above <laughs> Sweeney even. But right? Jeremy Jacobs would never do anything immoral. Yeah, <laughs> but like. At the same time, yeah, the Bruins organization does not, it doesn't look particularly good. Not just because, oh, they, they signed this guy who, who, who they shouldn't have. I, like, I've talked pretty consistently, I think we both have, about the idea of a justice system is that people can do bad things and we should ideally be able to reintegrate them into society as productive members of society who are a benefit to the people around them. Yeah. Right. I think I firmly believe that is a very, very important thing for our society to function well. Yeah. And there are, there are right. some people who will say, look, cool, but NHL hockey player is too much of a privileged position for us to um, to apply any but the very highest standards of conduct. I, and, and I think that's a totally reasonable yeah. and fair position, right? Like the, in this case, Mitchell Miller's second chance, so to speak, is that he didn't go to like... Because he was, uh, I believe, uh, he was 14 when this happened. He didn't go to, he doesn't have, like, a criminal record. Yeah. And, but, right? like, again, and I believe that that, that it is important that we mm-hmm. let people come back from who they were at 14. Um, and, and, yeah, yeah. and even, and again, like, even if he had a criminal record, like, it's important societally that we let people yeah. with criminal records, like, live a life. Yeah. Right? That does not mean necessarily being in the NHL. Yeah. And, and there's an argument to say, hey, sorry, that door is closed. Um, yeah. And, it makes me like I'm uncomfortable saying that. I'm uncomfortable saying doors are closed because of what you did at 14, because I do not believe that you had um, the same function. But like this conduct is pretty heinous. Like this is this is extreme. And like I I get people wanting to say, hey, no, close that door. That's over. Um, yeah. And I don't think I, that I that's think... incomprehensible. No, I, I and I do think I do think this is a situation where reasonable people can disagree on yeah. whether the door should be closed forever or whether there should merely be an incredibly high bar of yeah. this person, as you said, has shown real remorse, made real amends to to you know fix what they had broken in many ways or or fix you know <laughs> yeah f- fix the situation yeah. to the best of their ability and importantly made sure that this sort of situation would not happen again not just in their lives but also to the people around them and trying to be a force for good Mm -hmm. like a genuine force for good yeah and you know i i think probably where we come back into agreement with a lot of people is it hasn't been there right if you believe okay look this has to be where you turn your life all the way around um I, I don't think that there's enough there, and that's a tough thing to evaluate. But as it is, like, I don't think the Bruins should have done this. I think it was mm-hmm. a cynical decision. And there's something else that I wanted to remark on. They put out 
Patrice Bergeron, who is one of the most respected captains in the history of the NHL, Brad Marchand, who is an associate, uh, cap- an alternate captain, forgive me, and Nick Foligno. Like, that's the Bruins' leadership group, especially among players who are, like, um, native English speakers. I know Bergeron's first language is French, but he's very well-spoken. Mm-hmm. Um, and so clearly they were like, we're going to put these guys out. And Bergeron came, like, as close as a hockey player comes to basically saying, like, I, th- I don't like this. Like, I wish they hadn't done this. I, I wanted to mention, I think yeah. the Bruins players, um, Bergeron and Felino were the quotes I saw in particular. I, I don't know if Marshawn said anything. Um, yeah, he was like, okay, we've got our culture and nobody's going to disrupt that. Yeah. And everyone had better get on board or you're gone. Right. And I mean, Felino explicitly said, like, this was tough to, this was yeah. tough for us to hear. And I think the players responded very, very well to this. Yes. I, I, th- I think hockey culture is obviously very problematic in many, many ways. Um, I don't doubt that there are probably things said and done by people in the Bruins locker room that I would not particularly approve of. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're now we're at various points of their lives. Nonetheless, I think we can say that they, they kind of pretty firmly took a stand against the idea that Miller should be allowed into the NHL without anything... Yeah anything really happening from here yeah and i wanted to talk about that to be clear i think they were sincere about that i'm gonna say i believe them but the boston bruins organization made the signing with its eyes open Mm -hmm. and put these three players in front of the cameras i don't think they were ignorant of what those players were going to say Mm -hmm. and i think that from a cynical perspective of the boston bruins you say okay we're gonna sign these we're gonna take a public relations hit we're going to put our players out who will talk about us in a way that players usually don't talk about the teams that employ them. Um, and that will help people who cheer for our hockey team come around on the idea and say, at least the guys I cheer for that I care about on the ice stand against this. And that will help diminish the blow in the short term for this thing that we're still doing. Contract is still there. So... Yeah, I, again, I'm not saying that Bergeron or Felino or Marchand didn't mean it. I'm just saying that I think the decision to put them forward in this way, um, it reeks of cynicism to me on the part of the Boston Bruins. And I think that's the Bruins have concluded, like, look, this will die down. You know, the, the Habs signed uh, Logan Mayu to a contract a few months ago. And that's, that's their perspective. Anyway, yeah, it's... Um, it's a tough, like, it's a tough story. It like, is. Uh, the So I, 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 I am less cynical in this instance than you. I, I would like mm-hmm. to believe that it was not. I don't think the Bruins are smart enough to, to think three <laughs> steps ahead like that, to be totally frank. Maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't know. But but it's certainly a possibility. Um, it, we really can't overstate enough, like, ha- the severity of the actions of men. Yeah, I have to admit. Like, I, I'm, I'm trying to stick to my principles here of diminished responsibility for a 14-year-old. You read yeah. it, and then you're like, fucking Christ. It's, like, it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's really, really, really bad. And yeah, yeah I think yeah. He, he, as you said, there's diminished responsibility because he was a child when, when he did this. At the same time, that doesn't, no, it's, di- that doesn't, that doesn't change the hurt 
and the yeah. the anguish that and it, he and it's injected not, into his or that he 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 imposed on his victim. And it's not zero responsibility, right? You know, fourteen is not three. And to yeah. be clear, if he did this stuff at eighteen, I would absolutely mm-hmm. be be fine saying no professional hockey career for any team that I ever care about, mm-hmm. or I would not want to be a fan of that team anymore. Right. It's <laughs> as it is. The, like Jesus. The other thing worth noting is that like saying someone should not have a team uh, a career in say professional hockey yeah. uh as a result of their prior actions it's different from saying so and so cannot be an accountant yeah right because yeah. of some actions we talked about this when it came to like the jersey ads this is a much more serious uh implication of, of the underlying concept of that but hockey and pro sports generally is an entertainment industry that mm. is predicated on fans having emotional connection to a team that they really have no actual connection to Besides a team deciding to brand itself as being part of a city or, or, or a yeah. state or something like that. Right. That is the entire MO of pro sports. You need to have that emotional connection because otherwise there is nothing to root for. It's just a corporation. No one's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm such a huge, like, well, actually people are like this, but they're fucking weird. Like pe- people make fun of like Tesla fanboys for this reason. It's a corporation. They don't care about you. Yeah, they don't care about right. their own employees. <laughs> Come yeah. on. Um, <laughs> They're not even on the and, team. And like ho- hockey teams, in an abstract sense, are their cor- corporations that they probably don't care about us that much, right? Mm-hmm. They care about us insofar as it impacts, you know, their business, right? Yeah. They, I, but they rely on the fact that people care about them to generate eyeballs, to be interested in the game to give them money. That's what the league is based on. The league is selling marketing. Yeah. And, you know, there's a very cynical argument that says, however good this player is or isn't, we have to do a balance against the fact that a lot of our fans are going to find this repellent. Yeah. So it, it's substantively different than like, I don't know. No one's like, oh man, I, 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 such a huge fan of kpmg if they if they if anyone in their organization has like a bad history i I just can't support what they do anymore right there's not that emotional connection yes yeah so the requirements to be an nhl player or a pro athlete of any kind it it, like part of the qualification is your impact on that fan engagement or public approval side of the organization and for most players for most people that is essentially zero because mm. they haven't done anything particularly noteworthy uh in a, in a really negative sense mm-hmm. but if you have then yeah that that is and should impact you in a way that it would not if you did not have if you were not pursuing a career in the entertainment industry yeah it, like it's, it's part of uh, the package and i think the signing is the bruins doing a cost benefit and saying we trust that this will quiet down in time but there there, yeah. there is like some drama about i don't I, I haven't kept up on this part of it fully but like betman to something like mitt or might not even be approved to play in the nhl but like i, I didn't understand that because like you have to file paperwork with the nhl in order to sign the contract for it to go yeah. through so if like i don't know if that was just betman saying stuff um we'll see how that develops but if like, I recall correctly, the union said we have no knowledge of anything, and they basically said if you want to start trying to impose conditions on players to play in the NHL that yeah. are not in the CBA, then we're going to have a chat about that. And in their position as a union, that is kind of what they're obligated to do on principle. Um, but yeah, like 
even in the best, I don't see how anyone feels good about this. No, at all. Um, anyway, and, and you know, and uh, to, one other thing, just I know I've uh, rambled a little bit here. Um, I don't mean this as a dunk on Bruins fans, as people like I really do believe that that sort of stuff should be kind of kept outside of the usual yeah. stuff. Like where uh, I Bru- Bruins yeah. fans didn't ask for this. No, and no team is perfectly moral not theirs not ours not anybody's no and so i don't believe that this somehow reflects on the moral turpitude of bruins fans this should be beyond sports yeah yeah i, I mean you should hate bruins fans for the usual reasons like right. the fact that they kick puppies and cheer for brad marchand yes to be clear they're all bad people i'm just saying that they're the same bad people that they were yeah <laughs> and this specific this... action can't be <laughs> exactly um <laughs> Okay, so Sutton, Sutton left her near from that very yeah, serious. Yeah, that got a little and, heavy. Yeah, yeah. Did. Um, but we, we we sort of alluded to something that happened during the game against the Bruins and haven't discussed it in full yet. Um, Ilya Samsonov got hurt. Yeah. Do you know there was a tweet this week um, about a podcast host forty minutes into an episode saying, "Okay, let's dive right in," and I think, <laughs> I think we might have just done that with burying the yeah. lead because the big takeaway from. Uh, Last night in the big picture, aside from the Leafs having a nice win, is that Ilya Samsonov got hurt on a penalty shot um, from bad Brad Marchand, it looked like, and Marchand scored on it. I think Keith confirmed that now as well. Uh, yeah, okay. And so he sort of fell the wrong way. Apparently it's a knee injury. Um, knees are important. Um, yeah. Free medical opinion. And, and so Samsonov has been delivering on the bet that the Leafs made on him to start the year. And now he's out for, we don't know. So, yeah, obviously this is a point of concern. Goaltending we talked about we thought was going to be kind of the Achilles heel of this team, potentially. And Samsonov made that not the case, which was great because they had a lot of other things going wrong. Um, and now we're, we're kind of up in the air. So there's been some word that they're signing Keith Petrozelli. Mm-hmm. Um, who is a big goalie who's off to a hot start with the Marlies, had a good season with the ECHL's Newfoundland Growlers last season. Um, the guy has played 11 games career at the AHL level. If we have to bump him up to the NHL, that is a whole lot of steps in a short time. Mm-hmm. It very much is. Uh, currently, the Leafs are going to play Eric Shogren, it looks like, uh, uh, including for their game against Carolina today, the day we're recording, which is uh, November 6th. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's not great because Shogren is not a great NHL goalie. It, I mean, I don't think he's like bad for a number three. It's just like he's a number three goalie. If he was really good, he'd be a number two or a number one. Yeah. And, you know, there's some question of how good can you expect your number three goalie to be? Um, either you got lucky drafting him, or he's probably going to have to be bad enough to clear waivers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are always a certain amount of movement on the goalie waiver wire for that reason. Like, it's it's tough. Um, Eric Shalgren, you know, is a nice guy. Um, I should say Shalgren is himself waivers exempt, but he is in line with the skill level of guys who do clear waivers. So this isn't a huge exception to the rule. Um, he was competing against the kind of the Michael Hutchinson tier of goalies that we remember so well right so yeah so yeah basically i mean we don't have a ton to say here just we need more information on samsonov's injury and then also when matt murray will be back right it it should be like 
a couple weeks probably from now that is what we're and anticipating they said four it's been three and now we're, yeah. Mm, yeah yeah but we, we haven't we haven't heard much and then presumably we have to hope murray plays well which is also clearly not a given yeah there's been some debate is like is this situation kyle dubas's fault and in the global sense that everything the team does is basically on him to some extent yeah and i think you can say a little bit when both of your goalies get injured and one of them is matt murray that's not the hugest plot twist in the world but i think beyond that you know there is some bad luck involved and again very hard to insulate yourself against both of your starting goalies going down at once very hard yeah pretty much okay so yeah anyway we'll just have to see how that goes um we don't have a ton of analysis to offer other than i'm uncertain of all of these options i guess the most optimistic thing you could say is that eric shelgren was not very good last year either and they still won eight games out of 14 with them mm -hmm. hopefully they can do that again whether the storm and samsonov is back to the starting job that he uh pretty much won <laughs> yeah yeah okay uh, do we want to talk about Rasmus Dahlin? Yeah, we should. Yeah. Um, so we we make fun of the Buffalo Sabers a lot here, uh, as any as anyone should do, really. It's been harder since they got rid of Rasmus Ristolainen. It's just less fun to make fun of the the Flyers for 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 <laughs> for excuse me for acquiring and then signing Rasmus Ristolainen. We should do that more though. That's pretty. A, that's should, a failing of our podcast. The Flyers collectively are kind of great. To be honest, every time we do the league survey pods, I'm like, oh, good, it's the Philadelphia segment. Yeah. Um, but Rasmus Dahlin has been on a heater this year. He has been really, really good. He has scored a lot of goals. Mm -hmm. And we chatted, I guess, a couple years ago, but actually in each of the last couple years, about how Dahlin hasn't really delivered on the hype of him being a number one overall pick. He, he wasn't just an average number one overall pick too he was expected to be the best defenseman in the league or close to it yes the bar has been very very high for Dalian. and he's perceived as something of a disappointment and we want to qualify that because insofar as he was a disappointment i think it's by the standards of first overall pick mm -hmm. um he was never not a good player it's just he seemed like someone like a defenseman who was was maybe not a pure top pair type, not a pure all situations type. Maybe more of an offensive leaning, maybe has to be sheltered a little bit type. He still leans to offense. Um, as Arvin pointed out, he is shooting the lights out right now. He's got seven goals and 15 points in 11 games off a 16% personal shooting percentage. So either he's the greatest defenseman sniper in the history of the world, or that's going to drop by at least half. But uh, at the same time, he has been playing well. In the very early Norris uh, chatter, his name has been mentioned. That's a first, uh, to, to my knowledge. Um, so, yeah. Um, in our role as trying to keep an eye on threats around the Atlantic Division, we were a little bit curious about him. I think the Sabres are in the process of building something that will be good. Um, and maybe not that far in the future. I said two years, and sometimes I look at them and I think maybe next year. Probably not this year, but this is like a fun, fast team, and Dalian is at the heart of that. Right. Um, he's not at the heart of it enough that I can ever remember whether his name is pronounced Dalian or Dalian. I go back it's and Dallin. forth. Okay. I go back and forth between them sometimes in the same sentence, and that's a me problem. I, I, I do that too. I, I, like, same with uh, 
Samsonov slash Samsonov. I don't know mm. what syllable to stress. I just go for both, and then I'm guaranteed to be right at least some proportion of the time. Yeah, I have. There's no excuse for how bad I am at pronouncing names. And even when I know better, when I get into the moment, it's just like it's red mist. It's like when Kadri's in the playoffs. I just, I can't see, and I just throw everything out there. <laughs> I wake up, and I've elbowed somebody, and I've mispronounced seven names. Um, yeah, but Dalin, I think, is uh, is doing well. Um, he can sling it. Like, he's a good shooting defenseman. I'm not saying that, even though you I You don't get drafted that. number one overall, yeah. because everyone's like, wow, this guy has such fucking great grab control. <laughs> No, right? not like, generally. Like, no. if you're a defenseman drafted number one overall, it's because people think you have really, really high offensive upside, in yes. addition to hopefully being good at defense. Yeah, and he was, like, clowning uh, the Swedish Hockey League when he was uh, a teenager, which is pretty mm-hmm. impressive. Um, and it's worth remembering, even though he seems kind of like old news, because he was touted pre-draft, drafted first overall, has been in the news more than the Buffalo Sabres as a whole generally tend to get, because they're not very good, um, or haven't been. Um, he's only 22. Okay. Like he's still very much in, in that age range where he can take big steps. Um, and so we, uh, we consulted our, uh, our Sabres correspondent. We call him Sabres Kevin. He's guested on the podcast before he follows the Sabres. Um, so he's already suffered more than any insults. I could sling at him right now, uh, for his team. And he said this, uh, he's just, Re-Dalene. He's historically taken so long to get into his groove that he is fighting an uphill battle in terms of metrics. Uh, he had a full year plus under Granado, Sabres coach, and has come out of the gate looking great. The goals aren't even the point. He's shooting some ridiculous percentage, but the underlines and the eye test and all that support that he's played well. Beyond that, his partners have been a real mix of guys due to injuries. Samuelson, Bryson, some time with Owen Power, who's their, uh, their recent top pick defenseman. And he's been pretty much good regardless. He said, I think the full year of realizing he isn't going to get benched or critiqued for mistakes while trying to make things happen, plus the fact that Power has siphoned off some of the expectations in the offensive load, has really eased Deline in and allowed him to play how he can. He also says the overall skill level of the team is up too, which helps. Um, he says Deline's making better defensive reads, and he's probably been their best player, as per Kevin. Um this is a bit of an interesting issue because the Sabres bridged Deline at $6 million, so they've got him mm-hmm. this year next to that price. And the way he's going, he's going to get a raise. Yeah, I think that bridge sort of made sense because, I mean— It was a I, tough one, yeah. If he had—if they committed long-term, we would have been like, okay, this is like a big bet on, on, on Deline. We've seen, we've seen teams make those. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arizona notably kind of always does this with their—I don't want to say young stars because they're not good enough to be called stars, but like they're, they're young players with some promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, you can talk yourself into some of these weird deals where suddenly you turn around and you're like two or three million over value because you projected an improvement that never happened. Colin Ward right. is the classic example of that with the Sens. Yeah, exactly. Like some, sometimes, you, sometimes you go long and it, and it really works. Sometimes you go long and you pay Nick Schmaltz. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, teams are getting more comfortable going long because of an anticipated rise in the salary cap as the league finally gets out of the hole that COVID dug for it in terms of revenues. Um, as we've probably mentioned, Matias Samuelson, they signed to a long-term contract at 4.28 before we scored an NHL goal. Um, so yeah, I think, look, to be clear, for core players on RFAs, you keep them. 
pretty well if you really want to. So I like they'll work something out with Dalene. It's just an interesting question now of how how high is the ceiling going to be because this guy, um, if the Saber's power play gets its head out of its collective ass, I could easily see Dalene being an eighty point defenseman, like this season or next, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to get you paid. It really will. Yeah. So anyway, like it's exciting times in Buffalo. Like they are a certainly a deep team with a lot of weapons that are still maturing. So I think famous last words, but I think if they don't screw anything else up too badly, this is going to be the team that comes out of the rebuild. Like they're going to do it this time. Yeah, I I, I can see that. I mean, it also helped Tage Thompson looks more real than not real based on his last like he he had a huge shooting heater last year yeah um and he looks like he's still pretty good yeah he's been killing it he had a six point game those don't come around very often man no (laughs) that's pretty spectacular so he's sitting at 15 and 12 um i guess it's good to just be enormous the the defense has not been good with him on the ice but Mm. i don't know enough about the sabers to know who really bears the blame for that they do feel like they have um you know, they're in the young team stage. Granado is giving them the green light more, saying, learn, make mistakes, trying to inculcate some good habits, but also we're willing to be more offensive. You know, I mentioned that the Boston Bruins are now well over four goals a game. Um, the other team that's over four goals a game is the Sabres. So they're scoring. Um, yeah, anyway, something to keep an eye on in what looks to be like a pretty, a really tough Atlantic division. There aren't any awful teams, I don't think. And I... I'm starting to think Montreal isn't even that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not good, but they're they're not abject. Um, yeah, I'm well, especially early in the season. They haven't really like lost hope yet. Yeah, you know, this could get pretty bad in time. And to be clear, I don't think the Habs are probably going to make the playoffs or come all no, that no. close. No, no. But so... like, I, I would expect the Habs to be like weaker as the season goes on, um, especially being as young as they are. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a certain amount of that. I, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. The, the Sens are kind of in the, the basement. Sorry, I'm, I'm just riffing a little bit here. I know we were starting with the Sabres, but they've lost five in a row. Josh Norris is out. That could get kind of... That could get I, away I mean, from D- them in a hurry. DJ Smith's got to be on the hot seat at this point, right? Like, I, I don't think the fans loved him in the best of times, like, as a, as a coach for the future. Yeah, I, I don't and, know. I don't know where they're at. It's, um... It would require knowing a Sens fan, which is pretty impossible. <laughs> where do they live um yeah so we'll keep an eye on that but yeah it looks like this will be a competitive division you know detroit is certainly competent Mm -hmm. at at this point in time buffalo looks competitive you know and the top four is the top four the top four is the top four you know they can't all make it even if there are two crossover slots so yeah it's gonna be competitive like the leafs the Leafs have righted the ship, it feels like, a bit this week. But to be clear, like, stop fucking around, guys. Like, don't mm. blow too many more points to the Anaheim Ducks of the world. Right. Um, the other team we wanted to discuss, speaking of, like, a legit team, the Devils. We want to chat about them very briefly. Okay, so sort the league by expected goals. The Devils are way ahead of everybody. Mm-hmm. It's Now, it's so early. I don't think they're going to be a 65% XG team. But if they are... <laughs> they're gonna win the cup yeah no it, it's they're they've been really really good to start the year um dougie hamilton has been as advertised john marino has been a great addition 
Uh, I feel like John Marino, if, for, for a Leafs fan looking for an equivalent, he's their TJ Brody. Mm. It's a good thing to have. He's also, like Brody, he's very good at defending odd man rushes, um, which is, I, I think, a useful skill to have, especially... Uh, I, actually, I don't know if he plays with Dougie Hamilton, but if he does, that would sort of be a useful skill to have because Hamilton is very willing to, like, rove. Yeah. the um, When we looked at the New Jersey Devils roster... Um, we kind of noted that they had two right side defensemen who liked to play kind of more in the more aggressively, I guess, more of offensive defensemen in Hamilton and Damon Severson. And on their left side, they had uh, Jonas Siegenthaler um, as, as kind of a balancing presence. Right now, it looks like they're playing Siegenthaler with Hamilton and then Marino is mm-hmm. trying to hold down the second pair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so encouraging. Jesper Bratt is being productive as goddamn hell. Mm-hmm. Um 17 points in 12 games. They signed him to a one year at, what was it? Five point, one moment, please. 5.445 million. Um, yeah. That, and then he's, yeah. That's getting, he's getting a raise. He might, he might double that. <laughs> he might get a big raise. And there were a lot of um, New Jersey Devils fans that I follow and see online who were saying, we really wanted to get term for Jesper Bratt, well, the first month of the season has made it look like, yeah, you should have gotten term for Jesper Bratt. Did they did they have cap issues that prevented them from doing that? I think they, they they've signed they used to have like a ton of cap space, but then yeah, signing Hamilton anymore. and then yeah, they don't anymore. So yeah. I, I I don't know if they they even had the room to do that without like moving off someone else. Yeah, they kind of they kind of cornered themselves. And when we looked at this in the off season, we said, hey, how did this happen? I was kind of critical of the signing of Miles Wood. Um, mm-hmm. To be fair, Miles Wood has been productive, um, or reasonably so, in the first early going, because everyone on the Devils has been. Um, even Jack Hughes. The thing is, is that Jack Hughes hasn't really gone supernova yet, the way that mm-hmm. I anticipate that he can and probably will. Um, he's still pulling a game, but like, there's another level that I think is waiting for him. Right. And, you know, we talked prior to the season about this team got absolutely trucked by bad goaltending last year. It's not like the goaltending has been great this year. No. It's just been not disastrous. And that's yeah. kind of all they've needed so far. Yeah. Uh, Vanacek, who was their goalie who they acquired to kind of fix things, has been slightly below expected. Like, he, right now, in the very early going on Money Puck, he's rated as, like, the 45th best goalie. Um, that will have time to stabilize. We'll see. Those numbers are crazy. But it gives you a general idea of where he's at. Like, he's playing, like, a, a backup or a decent backup. Uh, and that's been enough for the Devils to run to the top of the Metro because they're clobbering the puck. Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted to mention about first overall picks, not always getting it right out of the park in their first year. You know, we've seen it before with guys like Jack Hughes, who probably could have been in the AHL. I think Nico Hishier has been sort of maybe a little forgotten, maybe a little underrated. And he's turned into like this really, really strong two-way forward really good for them um he had some shift that made the rounds on twitter this week where he just protected the puck for like a minute and just did laps it was insane um yeah so i think the devils are real yeah no i think i think they're a good team and similar to what we said about the bruins like that they don't make you give the points back even if you run a little hot and i don't think they really have been running hot at least in terms of shooting or goaltending which is typically the way we talk about a team running hot they've probably been above their true talent and 
carry and play. As we said, I don't think they're they're a sixty five percent xG team because like no one is, but that they they look good. They look good. Yeah, and so you know maybe this is finally the year that winning the off season turns into winning something in the real season. Hmm. Um, I'm sure they're more than eager for that at this point. We said they were all in, or not all in, but they were moving much more aggressively. And here we go. Yep. All right. Uh, is it time to be mean to people online? I, you know what? I think it is. Uh, that's very good. We have our bad take of the week segment where we review a bad take that has been provided by the world of hockey. Uh, and this week we're going close to home. Yeah. So Luke Fox at Sportsnet has written an article and that this was... In fairness to him, this was done like on Halloween, so this is done after the Leafs had had a ghastly, ghastly road trip, which we talked about. And there is no sugarcoating how bad the road trip was. It was genuinely very, very bad. And nonetheless, this article is incredibly melodramatic and also factually just like sort of wrong. Uh, the title is "Dreadful Road Trip," shows Maple Leafs GM. Dubas has not built a cup contender. I'm trying to do my best, like, political attack ad voice. <laughs> Morgan Kyle... Riley wants you to think that he loves puppies. <laughs> yeah. Kyle Dubas isn't the man for you. <laughs> Wrong for Toronto. Wrong for America. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, l- let's get some choice quotes. Uh, Morgan Riley talked about... Uh, needing to show character going into like a rough game because you have to say something when you're the guy who does a bunch of the press. Um, And of course the team lost after Riley said this and Luke Fox says, does that mean that Riley lacks character? No, it means his general manager has constructed a hockey team with not nearly enough of it. Um, I'm going to gradually turn into one of the orcs from rings of power. (laughs) As I read segments from this article, I can't help it. Um, let me see here. My personal favorite. As these losses to supposed lesser lights mount, the coaches flip from tack master into encourager. He's dealing with a wounded animal. It's like, it, okay, it had been 10 games. 10 games of the season. Okay? First of all, do not pretend to me for a second that if those two overtime losses had gone the other way, that this article would have been written like this. It just mm-hmm. wouldn't because you don't do that when the team has won six games and lost four. Um, and again, it doesn't mean that everything was hunky-dory by any means, but this stuff of fatal flaw, critical weakness, irredeemable, wrong in the soul, all that sort of stuff. Come on, Luke. That, that's the thing. Like The Leafs had issues and have issues, right? Uh, yeah. And not all of them are like, were shooting percentage. So these were also just not doing well at carrying play. That's been right. That ship has not been righted, but like the numbers at least look better after two games where they, where they did that. Um, but like, you know, that's still a concern. It's still a concern that the Leafs second pair is, you know, with the Leafs top pair is whatever pair TJ Brody is on. And their second pair is also whatever pair TJ Brody double shifts on. <laughs> right. Like that's not ideal. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> like the, the fact that at least still have these issues where, they just give up absurd chances off of transitions went by being like sloppy and having, you know, somehow Justin Hall playing net front while Michael Bunting takes a point shot. 
like that that's that's a that's a problem in some yeah. respects right it, like there are real issues with this team but like the <laughs> but does this article flaw, discuss them no not really it, it does make allusion to like oh you know the least more of their shots will go in their shooting percentage will improve which is like yes that's true yeah. but it doesn't really address the other quite substantive issues about the team and it really just sort of says like this team lacks courage and lacks character which is also some always something that's said after the fact and never before mm-hmm. um now in the case of the leafs like people have said this for each of their last playoff losses the thing that i don't get and the thing that is i think frustrating is that if anything kyle dubas has sort of leaned on the idea of like we need to get character and toughness and bring different elements into our roster mm-hmm. the least bottom six is not skilled not really right like, like who's the most skilled guy in the least bottom six Kali yarncroak pierre engvall two guys making less than three mil i guess yeah like on a reach and here's the thing and again i am quoting from mr luke fox Dismiss this as as old school if you wish, but the Maple Leafs don't have enough gritty hard role players orbiting around their talented core. Um, the fr- <laughs> why, why is this orc from Louisiana? <laughs> I'm really kind of freeballing this one, man. I don't know. Like, I start the sentence and I don't know where the voice is going to go when I get to the end of it. <laughs> I'm going to retire that bit while I work on it for later episodes. Okay. The frustrating thing is, says Mr. Luke Fox, They've had a bunch of them filter away due to economics or an inability to fit the vision. Nazem Kadri, Zach Hyman, Connor Brown, Ilya Lyabushkin, Mason Marchment. Okay, let's slow down a little bit here. Um, that's the salary cap, okay? For a starting thing. A lot of that is the product of the salary cap. Um, Nazem Kadri, you can say the trade, that was a mistake. Should not have done that, as it turned out. But everyone was screaming at him to make that trade at that particular time to shore up the defense because everyone who is all old school said, hey, you've got too many forwards. You need to learn how to win defensively. Um, Some of the rest of them, Zach Hyman, I don't think I want to match that contract at all. Connor Brown, not as much of a difference maker as he's being presented with. Ilya Lyabushkin is a sixth defenseman. Who was here for like two months. Yeah. And like... As a sort of a sum up here, the Sabres might trade Labushkin this year. Yeah, they might. And <laughs> he's fine. Acquire it. But like, it's too much money. Um, yeah, that's also true. We cannot afford to pay like a sixth yeah. defenseman that. What? what and, and like Labushkin in the abstract, makes. it's like okay, yeah, you could have given a raise to Ilya Labushkin. I am not convinced that he would have solved this um, in any means. But also, it's like you've diagnosed the problem as not enough gritty, hard role players orbiting around the talented core. How many playoff series did we win with any of those four players? They were here. They appeared in the playoff series. If they were the missing ingredient, why wasn't the cake baked? Um, And then he also mentions Mason Marchment. Yes. Swing and a miss on that one. That said, I am not convinced that anyone foresaw what Mason Marchment has become. I also don't think that they traded him because he didn't fit the vision. No, they traded him because they thought, okay, he's 24. He's probably gone as far as he's going to go. I don't think they were like, oh, God, this guy's a power forward. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> Disgusting. Did and someone it... bring, bring me a 5'9 sealed winger? <laughs> yeah, and this is like um, kind of overlooking the fact that Dubas has done this. 
he acquired Wayne Simmons. He acquired Kyle Clifford. Acquired well, Jake Musson and TJ Brody. He acquired Nick Foligno in what looks like one of his least successful transactions as a general manager. Um, he bid on Nick Foligno to extend him, which I'm glad he got outbid on, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, notwithstanding, Foligno's had a few points in Boston to start this year. I do not want to be paying $3.8 million for what he brings. Um, yeah, like, I think this is just simplistic and it's that bias that we actually talked about last episode which is everything that has just happened is the most important thing that's ever happened right so the thing there's one line in it that is i think particularly galling where he says this is a one-note club and when they can't outscore their mistakes all you're left with are mistakes i mean by definition that is true of every team if you if they do not outscore their mistakes they lose the game um so yes that is kind of how hockey works Mm -hmm. but also it's like the Leafs are not giving up 35 goals a game. No. Their defense, their defense has been kind of okay-ish. The offense has been what has been problematic relative to the expectations. The Leafs are the eighth best team in the NHL in terms of goals against. As of right now. Eighth best. Um, and you can say, well, there have been two games written um, since that article where they held the Flyers to two goals to say the uh, Bruins to one. But on the other hand, maybe that's the problem when you draw inferences from a 10-game sample and then two games make it look silly right after. Um, they haven't been scoring enough has been the problem. They're 23rd in goals per game. Um, again, there are real problems with the Leafs. I do not believe that Luke Fox has successfully identified any of them. And I think insofar as he's bothered to present an excuse that isn't just that they're bad losers who lose because they're bad. Um it's leading away from the real issue, which is probably not enough scoring. Um, like, not enough that they've been able to uh, overcome a shooting slump for Austin Matthews um, that made mm-hmm. it difficult. There are right. defensive uh, issues, but, like, come on. Yeah, that one, I think that like that's a criticism of the Leafs, that, like, sure. okay, we are incredibly dependent on the health of Austin Matthews' wrists, and also, even when they're healthy, that, like, if things go bad for him for a week, we are, like, not doing great. Yeah, and I think, like... You can say there are weaknesses with this team. I This is by no means a blanket defense of Kyle Dubas. They're, like, he's open to criticism and a lot of it on certain points. But if you come to a diagnosis that there is something so terribly wrong in Toronto's heart and soul that has doomed them, I'm sorry, you need to find a way to explain to me how they got within one goal of beating the Tampa Bay Lightning last year or how they were. Um, one goal away from beating the Canadians in five. And that doesn't mean that they won in real life or anything like that. It's just, I think that too much of this is so obviously post hoc ergo propter hoc stuff where it's just like a bad thing happened, so they must have deserved it um, because there's something morally wrong. Anyway, yeah, the, this article was bad, I guess is what I'm saying. It was so bad yeah. that I had to do a Louisiana workforce for some of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, basically, it's frustrating when people just sort of peddle narrative-based stuff. Yeah. Narrative-based BS, I think, mm-hmm. after, after wins or losses. The, the, and this is why so much character analysis in hockey is sort of silly. Because no one ever says, prior to a game or prior to a season, this team just lacks character. Mm-hmm. Right. But when when they when they lose, somehow their character gets worse. Yeah, every single time. And to Are be they, clear, and, and, like yeah. And the people who say the Leafs lack character mean that in the sense of oh, they they lack character that helps them win in the playoffs. They're not like oh, they lack character, which is why they 
they suck in the regular season because that's very obviously not true because they haven't sucked in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And so if this argument is going to be made with any precision, like you have to at least say, okay, here's where it shows up and why. Uh, which, of course, you're not going to because that's not the point of this argument. Like This is a broadside um, because there's a hunger in this market to express anger when the team sucks. Okay. Yep, I think that's just about everything for us um, this week. So thank you all for listening. You can catch all of mine and Fuldman stuff at pensionmanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RB and AT Fuldman for the five more days that Twitter will be active and functional. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see you we'll see you in a couple in next week. Bye.